Well, good morning, everyone. I have the absolute privilege of continuing our current series, Do Life Differently, this morning. And all throughout this series, um, I know I personally have been reminded of how high of a calling this really is. That as people who put their saving faith in Jesus, who aim to be more and more like him each and every day, who are learning to be transformed by the Spirit, that our lives should be different. That not just for the sake of being different, but instead to point people to Jesus, to bring hope to a world that really needs it, to truly be a light in the darkness and to take it seriously because each person matters in eternity. That is why we are living life differently, that we're called to be set apart, to be different from the rest, because we know the only true way to a satisfying and abundant life. And so we want to bring as many people along for the journey as we can, as we walk closely to Jesus. And we're not perfect. We actually don't even claim to be perfect. And yet we want to invite people into this grace-filled life living with Jesus. And we show that first by living differently than the people around us. Last week, Pastor Dave did a great job covering a very significant passage in Philippians. As he talked about, it's kind of the hinge passage um, to the whole book as a whole. And everything hangs on this. And it describes this humble and exalted Jesus and his mindset. And Pastor Dave challenged us that as we talked about our own mindset, that we strive to be more like Jesus. And then because of that, then it flows out into our actions and our behaviors very practically. And it reminds me that whatever we want to do with our behavior, with our actions, all the practical stuff that we talk about, it is all based on having a correct understanding of who God is and what he's done for us, which then leads us to action, which is where we're going to begin today. However, before we get to our passage today, we're going to look back at our scripture from last week, which is also our passage to ponder, as it is so important for what we're going to look at this morning. And so these verses, our passage to ponder, are verses that we carry all throughout the series to keep them at, our for, to keep them at um, the forefront, to remind us of the themes that we want to talk about. And so let's read um, Philippians 2 together. It says, in your relationships with one another, again, we've talked about this, very practical, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by being obedient to death, even death on a cross." And so to recap a little bit about Philippians of what we've read so far, from chapter 1, verse 27, all the way into what we finished on last week, which is chapter 2, verse um, 11 as well, Paul has been encouraging the Philippians to conduct themselves in a manner that is worthy of the gospel. He's been talking about unity and harmony and humility, and he even showed us Christ's example. He highlighted Christ as the one that we want to be like that he lived in perfect obedience, even to the point of self-sacrifice on the cross, which we just read. And with all this in mind, we want to keep all of those things at the front of our minds as we talked about this morning. He says, therefore, and he continues. So Paul is going to urge the Philippians and us today as modern day Christians reading the scriptures to obediently put teaching into practice. So today we're going to talk about 
being brilliant witnesses in the world around us. And from verse uh, two, 12, sorry, in chapter two, Paul is going to explain to the Philippian church and to us how to apply all of those principles, unity, harmony, humility, following after Jesus, all of those things he's going to kind of bring into a very practical light and talk about our actions. And so let's read the rest of our scripture this morning, starting in, in verse 12. He says, therefore, my, deep, my dear friends, remember, therefore, as in light of everything we just talked about, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. So therefore, do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. And then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. But even if I am poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me as well. And so Paul starts our passage this morning with therefore, which in the Bible is always a word that you want to circle, pay attention to, because it reflects back to whatever we just read. So he's saying, meaning in light of what we just talked about, Unity, harmony, the last couple of weeks that we've been going through this series, Christ's perfect example. This is how we are going to act with all of these things in mind. It's not separated from his teaching. He kind of just did a very deep theological conversation around Jesus and who he is and what he's done for us. And he's saying, then the way that we act are not separate. They have to be together. That our actions cannot be separated from biblical foundation. And so remember what I said at the very beginning, our everyday lives from the moment you wake up in the morning to the moment you go to bed have to be built on the foundation of who God is, what he has done for us, and then therefore what he has called us to do and how to live. And so this morning, we're going to look at the four different ways that Paul challenges us to be brilliant witnesses. And the first thing that he talks about in verses 12 and 13 is this that we have to rely on the power of God to live obediently. It all starts there. So let me just give you a deep breath kind of moment that it has to begin with the understanding that we cannot do it on our own, that I cannot live out being a brilliant witness without relying on the power of God. And we need the transforming work that he is doing in our lives daily to aid us to be more like him. Now, this should be some good news for you that you can take a a deep breath of relaxation because so often, myself included, we can get caught up in just doing all of the right things, checking off all the boxes, striving to be better on our own. And we're going to talk about that in a few minutes. But Paul reminds us from the very first verse of this passage that it is God who is working in you to act and to will Um, in order to fulfill his good purpose. That God is the one who begins this transforming work inside of us. And then in order to live that out, we actually have to rely on him first and foremost. That I cannot do certain things out of my own strength and I need 
not just sometimes should have, I need to rely on God's power in order to live obediently in the world today. And Jesus reminds us of this in John 15, the first five verses when he says this, I am the true vine and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. And then he says this, remain in me and also and I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me, that I am the vine, you are the branches. And if you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit because apart from me, you can do nothing. So it all starts with this connection to God, with abiding with him, with leaning on him, with relying on him. And it's kind of a, a, a refreshing thought to think that it's not a works-based faith. That yes, our actions and our disciplines and our daily behaviors are important, but even more important than that is our constant connection to God. To understand that we cannot do it on our own, that besides him, we can do nothing, which in one sense can be pretty harsh. You're thinking, I actually think I have some great talents and gifts, but he's saying, apart from me, you can do nothing. That it's freeing to know that we need him to help us to do so. That we need to remain in him to look for guidance, for wisdom, as we aim to be better witnesses in the world. In Luke chapter 10, Jesus tells the story of the, the Good Samaritan, and we won't read it this morning, but to give you a little bit um, of context around that, we see Jesus gives this example of what it looks like to truly love your neighbor. And he goes through all these examples, and the moral of the story, the thing that he's trying to explain is that it's not just those who simply verbally claim to love other people. It's not even the most religious people, not the ones who regularly worship at the temple. It's not the priest. It wasn't the Levite. But at the time, it was a Samaritan who were people that were looked down upon, ostracized, not liked. It was the man who ministered to the one who needed something. And he said, I have, God's provided me with this and I'm going to give it to you. That it wasn't the most religious. It wasn't the people who knew all the right lingo. It was those who knew what they were called to do, knew who God was and acted out of that. And so before anything else, like that Samaritan, we have to recognize that we need him, that we need his help in living obedient lives because it's not our natural tendency. We're actually broken by nature. And so I need God to step into my life to point out areas where I'm going to go out and be a witness, to strengthen me and encourage me and challenge me in these moments when I need it most, that I need him to do that. Now, there's a part of this verse that when we read it, maybe you were like, I don't really know what that means. When he starts talking about working out your own salvation with fear and trembling, then it can actually be a verse that can be very misunderstood and unfortunately very harmful if it's talked about in the wrong way. And so like I said, Paul encourages the Philippians after he says, you know, it is God who's working in you. And he says, so you have to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Now, what's really important for us this morning is that Paul does not say that you need to work for your salvation. 
as in just be a better person, go to more services, give more to the church, help more people across the street, etc. I am not saying those things are bad. They are actually very good things. But he's saying it's not a matter of working for your salvation because if you, it's, he's not saying if you do enough of those things, you will work up to your salvation and you're going to earn it. So he doesn't say work for your salvation. He says work out your salvation. And so make no mistake this morning that it is God who begins the work in us and he just commands us to be obedient by stepping out in faith, by taking a risk and surrendering our will for his. So it's not a matter of you need to work for it. You need to earn your salvation because God lavishly gives that out to us. But it's you need to work out what that looks like. And so to clarify a little bit, I know this is kind of an interesting topic, that when a person repents of their sin and chooses to believe in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior over their lives, God does a work in them, inside of them. He begins that transformative work, the Holy Spirit, all that is involved inside of you. And so what Paul is saying here is not that you have to work for your salvation, but instead to work out what God has worked in. That it is our job to work out how we actually live out our faith in a more practical sense, because in case you didn't know, there is not a verse that is explicitly for every circumstance that you're facing. Of course, there are verses that help us, that challenge us, that guide us, of course. But there is not going to be specific ones that say, Kristen, on Tuesday at 10 a.m. when this happens to you, this is what I need you to do exactly. And so my job as someone who's following Jesus is I know that God is doing a work in me and my job is to work it out, to figure out how to do that on a daily basis. And George Mueller, a Christian evangelist in the 1800s, he said this, he said, the believer must finish, must carry to conclusion, must apply to its fullest consequences what is already given by God in principle, that he must work out what God in his grace has worked in. And it's important before we move on to our second point this morning, that there is that little phrase, fear and trembling. Now it's not, Paul is not saying that you should walk around your life and be terrified and constantly scared. However, he's saying that working this out in the world, the way that we work out our faith is a serious matter. That we want to take it seriously because it touches on eternity. That this matters more than anything else besides our personal relationship with God because it changes the way that other people are going to live out their faith, but it also affects eternity. So as we're working it out, just that fear and trembling, it's not a matter of let's be terrified and scared all the time, but it's a matter of I need to take this seriously because it matters. And so because all of this matters and we know that we can't do it on our own, Paul gets really practical and says one of the ways that we can be brilliant witnesses. In verse 14, he encourages us and challenges us that we have to resist complaining. That Paul wanted the Philippian church and the church today to work together and cooperate um, with God's work to produce a mature and united family of God. That was his goal that he emphasized that spiritual maturity, both individually as me, Kristen, as my own person and us collectively as the family of God, that it's the product of working out our salvation. And so in order to be a united, mature group of Jesus followers, 
that is an example to the rest of the world, we need to stop complaining and arguing. That it's that simple because through the display of a non-complaining spirit, we show ourselves to be true followers of Jesus. That Paul was looking around at the rest of society at the time, and he saw a lot of what we see today. Not just complaining, not just opinions, but daily arguments, slandering, gossip, all these things that just cause division and disunity. And he said that for us to be set apart, for us to be the holy family of God that we have been called to be, that thing, those things cannot exist within the family of God. Because when the world looks at the capital C church, not just King Street, but the church around the world, and all they see is fighting and arguing and questioning one another, that we are not being the light. We actually just look like the rest of the world. And therefore we are adding to this darkness that we are actually called to dispel. That it's not about having a fish symbol on the back of your car that is going to shine your light into the world. That it's how we act in our relationship with God, in our relationship with other people and the world around us through which God is going to shine his light through us. And one of my favorite verses in the Bible, I think I quote it as many times as I possibly can whenever I get the privilege to do a scripture talk, is from John 13, 35. And this is what Jesus challenges us as people who follow him. He says, your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. It's that simple. It doesn't say that the world is going to know that you're a follower of Jesus based on how right you are all the time or how many arguments you win, or how many people you correct because they have a wrong opinion or wrong ways of thinking. It's none of those things. People are going to know that you are a follower of Jesus, that you put your saving faith in him, that you are being transformed, that grace is filling your life because of your love. And this is not just a concept in Philippians. Paul talks about it with the Ephesians and the Colossians. In Ephesians 4, 29, he says, let no corrupting, talk come out of your mouth, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear it. That if you have nothing nice to say, I heard it a lot as a kid, don't say it at all. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only that is good for building up. And then he says in Colossians, so you must now put away all these things, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and any obscene talk that comes out of your mouth. That Paul is saying, sometimes your greatest witness, yes, helping someone across the street, yes, giving to a charity, yes, giving to the church, whatever it may be, but sometimes your greatest witness is what comes out of your mouth and what you say. Or, if we're gonna get a little touchy this morning, what you type. And so Paul is saying, and, that, and that's the emphasis, if you're going to be a brilliant witness, watch what you say and watch what you type. And so the third one this morning is that kind of out of that in verses 15 and 16, he challenges us that we have to have resolve to show integrity. That if we are going to be a brilliant witness in our world, we can't be fake. We have to have a genuine faith that is filled with integrity. And he commends actually the Philippian church of doing this. He's saying, you guys are doing it well, whether I'm there with you or whether I'm not, you are acting the same you are united, you are being consistent. And it's a reminder to us that we have to have a faith that is more than just an outward show of Christian values. 
which we display in front of certain people. You know, we were, we were reading through the Sermon on the Mount earlier this year, and there was a lot of challenging to say, don't just do it because people are watching. Do it because you have a relationship with God that instead a genuine faith in Jesus Christ should be the driving force in our life, a force that shapes not only our inner attitudes, but also our outward behavior, that it's not just one or the other. And so you should be the same person here at church or watching church this morning online than you are at the grocery store on a Thursday afternoon when that cashier is rude, maybe they're slow they, and you have a place to be and you're just thinking, could this be a slower line? Or when that crazy driver cuts you off or when there is a political announcement and you were on Facebook on a Tuesday evening, whatever it is, whatever context you are in, be the same person be consistent. And in this case, what Paul is challenging you is have integrity and be a person of faith in those contexts. And when he says, Paul goes on to say that when we do this, when we live a life of integrity and we continue to lean on God's power, he says, then you will shine among them like stars in the sky. Now for most people in the 21st century, myself included, stars are merely just a beautiful object in the sky. When I am out at my um, family cottage in the summer, you see all the stars and you just think, wow, God, you're so good. But for people in the first century, stars were not only just beautiful, they were actually a, an example of a divinely created harmonious or, uh, order. And so one of the primary meanings of actually the word cosmos is orderly, orderliness. There you go. And Paul wanted the church community to be a shining example of what it looks like to be a beautifully ordered, harmonious society. He says, just like the stars are showing you just the amazing majesty of God, you are also to show that as the family of God. And on top of that, stars were also um, an indispensable way to, to have um, a navigation system that the movements and patterns of the stars show direction and travelers who study and watch them carefully know where to go when they're on their journeys. And so by holding, as Paul challenges us, by holding forth and holding fast to Jesus, who is called the word of life, the Christians at Philippi and us today can actually illuminate the path to Jesus and lead people right there. And there, we actually read it earlier this morning. There's that passage in Matthew that we're going to read together where Jesus uses that same sentiment of being a light in the world. And he says this in Matthew 5, 14. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people lay a, light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. And in the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your father in heaven. When we fulfill our purpose as lights in the world, we do what lights do. We make things evident. We dispel darkness. We guide, we warn, we bring cheer. We make things safe. We bring order, all of those things. When we are being lights in the world, that's what we are doing. And so the question is, all Christians are lights in the world. And yet the only real question is how brightly do they shine? How bright are you shining? And so with all that in mind, this is the last, number four, the last kind of characteristic of someone who is a brilliant witness that Paul points out. 
at the very end, and it's we have to rejoice. That our passage ended today with Paul turning the attention a little bit more on himself and his circumstances. At this point, he's in prison and he's challenging the Philippians to rejoice along with him. And at this point, like I said, Paul is in prison and he's looking forward to what might be his imminent death for Jesus. And he says to the Philippians, I expect that you be glad and rejoice with me, even with this in mind. And he wasn't being morbid here, asking them to be excited about the idea of him dying. Yet he was asking them to see his death as something that would bring glory to God, which are parts of um, Philippians we've read earlier. That his life was going to be this sacrifice for Jesus in life and in death. And this was something that actually brought him a lot of joy to say, even if I'm alive or even if I am dead, I am bringing glory to God. And he wants the Philippians and us this morning to have the same attitude. That we come back to this constant theme that Philippians circles around, which is joy. And yet this joy is based not on circumstances, such a quite the opposite really, but based in the fact of having a life that is totally committed to Jesus. And we can read um, later and be encouraged that in order to be brilliant witnesses of Jesus, we can be glad and have joy no matter what our circumstances, even the tough ones. And so Paul challenges us in Romans 5. He says this, we can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials for we know that they help us develop our endurance. And endurance develops strength of character and character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. And this hope will not lead us to disappointment for we know how dearly God loves us because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. So as Paul points out and reminds us that Jesus is our example, he extorts us then to rely on God's power, that we need him to live obediently, to resist the urge to complain and argue with each other, to resolve towards a life that is full of integrity and grace, and then to rejoice even in the midst of our hard things, our hard issues, to know that they can bring glory to God. And so I'll end with this quote this morning from Charles Spurgeon. He says, grace all sufficient dwells in you, believer. There is a living well within you springing up. Use the bucket, then keep on drawing because you will never exhaust it. There is a living source within. That in order to be brilliant, witnesses of Jesus. It starts with that. And so let's pray this morning. Lord, we are just so thankful um, for the fact that we can meet together, that we can read your word, be challenged by it. God, that we can be challenged by the words that Paul has to say. God, we thank you for the fact that we can rely on your power because you are trustworthy. God, you are faithful, that we know that you are good and we can rely on you to know that you are going to help us live this out even tomorrow morning. So God, help us to be people who resist the complaining, who embrace grace and integrity, and yet look around at the circumstances, no matter how bleak they may be in our lives, and still rejoice because they can bring you um, the praise. God, let our lives be a sweet um, fragrance to you as we live it out. And so God, no matter what we face this week, help us to keep that in mind, that eternity is at the forefront, that our actions and our behaviors matter. So God, help us to abide in you as we do that. We thank you this morning. We love you. 
And we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.